Amen. All right, well, we're there in uh, Ephesians chapter number 6. And, uh, of course, on Wednesday nights, we are studying through the book of Ephesians, verse by verse, and chapter by chapter. And tonight, we begin the last chapter in the book of Ephesians. We're going to spend three weeks in Ephesians chapter 6, and then we'll be done with the book of Ephesians, and we'll start another book of the Bible, verse by verse, uh, studying uh, through the Word of God. And as we begin this chapter here, chapter 6, I want you to notice that the first part of this chapter, the first nine verses, uh, has to do with uh, authority, and specifically two authority relationships. You'll notice that in verses 1 through 4, uh, he talks about children, and then he talks about fathers. In verses 5 through 9, he talks about servants, and then he talks about masters. And we are given some instructions and advice for how to deal with authority. And it's really broken up. He deals with these two relationships, but he's talking about how to deal with the authority over you in regards to the children and the servants. And then he also talks about how to deal with the authority given to you or the authority that you have when he talks to the fathers and uh, the masters. Tonight, uh, we're going to make it through the first four verses, okay? And we're going to look through a lot of passages and study other things uh, you know, in Scripture, but we're going to deal with uh, just the subject of the children's and fathers, and then next week we're going to deal with the servants and masters. But I want you to notice that in these four verses, he's teaching about this authority structure. So, and if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write these things down. Of course, there's a place for you to write notes on the back of your course of the week. But I want you to notice that in verse 1, the Bible says this, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And this is a great verse for every kid to memorize. And uh, you parents should teach your children this verse. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And I'm not uh, preaching about this tonight, but let me just make mention of the fact that when these epistles were written, they were meant to be read in the congregation. And throughout the New Testament, you'll find passages where Paul is telling people, make sure you read the epistle that I wrote to that church. When he wrote epistles, they were supposed to be sent around, and people were supposed to read them. And I want you to notice that Paul expected someone to stand up in front of the congregation and read this letter, which is one of the reasons why we read the Bible here before we start the preaching. We go through and just read the entire chapter, because that was expected by Paul. I want you to notice that in verse 1, he addresses the children, and I'm not preaching about being family integrated, but I just want you to notice that Paul fully expected the children to be part of the service. Uh, he did not expect them to be off in some children's church or some Awana or King's Kids or whatever. He expected them to be there, and he addressed them. He said, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is a family-integrated church, so I'm going to go ahead and address the children, and I want the kids to notice how the Bible teaches and what the Bible teaches how children should deal with the authority that they are under. This is where we begin, how children should deal with the authority that they are under. And here he's talking, of course, to young children. And when I say young children, I mean children that are not married, that are living under the uh, authority of their parents. All right? I don't care if you're 18 or 20 or 22. If you live at home and your parents are you know, providing your shelter, then you are a child uh, that needs to obey his parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, keep your place in Ephesians 6. That's, of course, our text for tonight. But go with me, if you would, to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter number 3. 
Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Now, I'm going to go ahead and just say this. I'm going to say it one time, and, and you guys do what you want with it, all right? But I, I have a feeling that a lot of you dads are going to miss a lot of amen opportunities here, okay, uh, for your kids. So I'm just throwing that out there. Then the second part of this chapter is going to be for the dads, and then you're not going to be able to amen at all. So I'm just telling you, if you, if you want to get some amens in, you know, you might want to do it now while I'm preaching about obeying your parents. Ephesians chapter 6. Colossians chapter 3. Now I want you to notice, in Colossians chapter 3, we have a parallel passage with the book of Ephesians. And what that means is that the Holy Spirit is the one who wrote the Bible. And the Holy Spirit is using the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Colossae. And it's very similar uh, passage. It has a few differences, and we can study these together. I want you to notice what the Bible teaches about obedience. First of all, we can learn this, that children should obey their parents in everything. The Bible teaches that you are to, and it's not just children, and we've talked about this recently, in any God-given biblical authority structure, whether it's a wife with her husband, whether it's a man with his boss, whether it's a kid with their parents, the Bible teaches that we are to obey, but it also teaches that we are to obey in everything. Colossians chapter 3, look at verse 20, children, obey your parents, Uh, this sounds a lot like Ephesians 6, 1, children obey your parents in the Lord for this right. Here it says, children obey your parents in all things. Children obey your parents in all things. So listen, when it comes to obedience, we cannot pick and choose. When it comes to being uh, submissive and submitting ourselves to the authority that God has given us, we must learn to obey in all things. We must learn to obey in everything. And children here are being admonished to obey in everything. But I want you to notice, and keep your place there in Colossians 3, because we're going to be flipping back and forth the entire sermon between Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3. So put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there. We saw this uh, in the sermon about the husbands and wives, where the Bible is very clear that wives are to obey their own husbands in everything, the Bible says. Here, children are to obey their parents in all things. But I want you to notice, just like with the wives, Just like in every, whether it's us obeying the government, whether it's you obeying your employer, whether it's a wife obeying her husband or children obeying their parents, there's always this disclaimer, and the Bible is very consistent about this. Look at Ephesians 6 and verse 1. Children, obey your parents. Notice the word, in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. What does that mean? Well, go notice again, flip back to Colossians 3.18. This might remind you of when we saw this with the wives, Colossians 3.18. Wives, Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Wives, submit yourself unto your own husbands as it is fit, notice the words, in the Lord. What does that mean? It means this, that you and I are supposed to obey our authority structure in everything, in every area, as long as it's fit in the Lord, as long as it's within the will of God. So look, you're supposed to obey kids. You're supposed to obey your parents in everything as long as they're not asking you to sin. If they're asking you to sin, if they're asking you to do something that's sinful, that's wrong, then the Bible says we ought to obey God rather than men. But we don't just get to choose, oh no, you want me to mow the lawn? No, I'm going to obey God rather than men. You don't just get to choose, you know. God didn't tell me to take the trash out. You don't get to decide, you know, when you get to use that. You only get to use that when your parents are asking you to do something sinful, If they're not asking you to do something sinful, then the Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. The Bible says, children, obey your parents in all things. And this is how all authority structure works. 
When do I get you say wise? When do I get to disobey my husband? When he asks you to sin against the Lord. Other than that, you're supposed to obey in all things as it is fit uh, in the Lord. So children should obey their parents in everything. And, and uh, children should obey their parents as it is fit in the Lord. Go back to Ephesians 6. We're going to come back to Colossians here in a minute. But let me just explain this. Okay, the Bible says, you say, yeah, but for how long? The Bible teaches that there is an authority structure. God created three institutions. He created the home, he created government, and he created the local New Testament church. And in those institutions, he created a structure of leadership. But in the home, God has designed for the husband uh, to be uh, uh, the leader. And of course, the children have uh, their, their mother as a leader as well. That's why the Bible says, obey your parents in all things. You say, well, how long does that go for? Uh, does, does it go till, till, you know, I'm 13? Does it go till I grow a whisker on my chin? Does it go till I have a license? You know, the Bible teaches that you would forsake father and mother and cleave unto your wife. So you are to obey your parents in everything until you de- the day you get married. And, and, you know, uh, young men sometimes struggle with this because they start getting older and start getting muscles and start getting jobs and start thinking that they've got some authority. Look, you've got no authority. In the home, you are to obey your father in everything. You say, well, why would I want to do that? You know, one big reason you might want to do that is because the Bible teaches that you're going to reap what you sow. And if you're just a rebellious little punk to your dad, guess what? One day you're going to have a rebellious little punk that's not going to listen to you. You know, what makes somebody a great leader is the fact that they can be a great follower. You cannot be a great leader one day until you first learn to be a great follower. So, you know, you say, well, when does the authority end? When you walk down an aisle and you take responsibility for a wife and a responsibility financially to provide for your home, when you leave father and mother and cleave unto your wife, then you're no longer under the authority of your parents. But until then, the Bible says, obey your parents in the Lord in everything. You say, what about, what about young ladies? Well, look, a young lady is supposed to go from the authority of her father to the day that her father gives her away to her husband, and then she goes under the authority of her husband. This is how God designed it. This is how God planned it. Uh, uh, you know, there's not supposed to be any time when just some young lady is out there just doing whatever she wants. Now, we realize that there, we live in a fallen world, and those circumstances don't always work out in every situation, and we get that. But God planned for it to be this way. So we are to obey, you are to obey your parents, kids, in the Lord, in everything. And those are, and those are of equal importance. In everything, yeah, as long as they're not asking you to sin. Look, if your parents, and there are people who grow up in homes, where they get saved, and their parents are like, I forbid you to go to church. Well, you don't have to listen to that command. You know, I forbid you to read the Bible. You don't have to listen to that one, because God already commanded you uh, to do certain things. But other than that, you are to obey your parents in the Lord in all things. You say, why? Well, because it's pleasing to the Lord. Ephesians 6, look at verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, and then notice these words, for this is right. This is the right thing to do. This is what God has called you to do. Colossians 3.20. Children, obey your parents in all things. Why? For this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. It is pleasing to the Lord when children are obedient. It is pleasing to the Lord when children obey their parents. So you should obey your parents, kids, in everything. In all things, as it is fit in the Lord. In the Lord, because it's pleasing to the Lord. Go back to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. 
I want you to notice that, and, and I, I'm going to teach you something. Maybe you haven't seen this before in Scripture. But I want you to notice, I, I believe that there is a shift here where the Holy Spirit is speaking to children, but he's talking to younger children, and then he's talking to adult children. And again, how I define younger children is kids that are not married, that are living at home. The Bible says here that you should obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. But then in verse 2, it says this, honor thy father and thy mother. Honor thy father and thy mother. And I'd like you to go to the book of 1 Timothy, if you would. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Keep your place there in Ephesians. And keep your place in Colossians. We're going to come back to Colossians. But if you, if you go from Colossians, you'll have 1 and 2 Thessalonians and then 1 Timothy. Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy. And uh, go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. And let me just say this. The word honor means to give high respect or to have great esteem. Now, of course, I believe that young children should honor their parents, but I, you know, and that, that, that should go without saying. But what I want you to notice in this passage is that I believe that verse 1 is referring to children who are still living at home who have not been married, that they are to obey their parents in the Lord in all things. And then verse 2 is referring to children that are adults, that maybe left the home, that have grown up, that have gone married, the Bible still commands every, every child, even adult children, notice, not to obey. The Bible does not teach that once you leave the home, you have an obligation to obey your parents. Look, young lady, when you get married, your obligation to obey is to your husband, period. And your father can't step into that relationship and start dictating what he thinks. And, 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 and look, if, if mom and dad, if you're smart, you, you stay out of you know, uh, trying to impose your will upon your adult children. Obviously, hopefully, you've developed a good relationship with your children where they'll talk to you and they can ask you for advice. I think you should give advice. I think you should. But as far as commanding them, I forbid you to. Once you marry them off, that, that responsibility, that authority is gone. And adult children are not commanded to obey their parents, but they are commanded to honor their parents. Honor thy father and mother, which means you should give them high respect and you should hold them in great esteem. And, and of course, I think most people would agree with that. But I want you to notice that the reason that I believe that adult children are, at, are told or commanded to honor their father and mother is because I do believe in the Bible, and I'm going to show it to you, that this word honor carries with it a financial obligation. There's a financial obligation here to care for your parents, especially in older age when they are unable to care for themselves. Young kids are told, hey, you need to obey your parents. And then older kids that are married, they're told you need to honor your father and your mother. You say, what does that mean? Well, it means you should respect them. It means you should hold them in great esteem. But there's also, if you study this word honor in scripture, you'll find that there is a financial uh, connotation or obligation that you see in the scripture. Let me show it to you. First Timothy chapter 5, look at verse 3. First Timothy chapter 5 and verse 3. Notice the word, honor. Honor widows that are widows indeed. What's a widow? A widow is a woman whose husband has died, who's, who's the one that's supposed to provide for her is dead. Here the Bible says, we are to honor widows that are widows indeed. Now the Bible is about to say that a widow indeed is a widow who literally has no one in her life, 
who has no form of financially uh, providing for herself, and that meets certain qualifications, that in those cases, the church should actually provide for them financially. And I'm not going to preach on that. You know, we can, you can ask me about that if you'd like. I mean, it's, it's very clear what the Bible says about that. But before you can even go there, before you can even have the church start uh, caring for a widow, the Bible first says, says this, verse 4, but if any widow have children or nephews. So the first priority of who should take care of a widow are her children or nephews. And the word nephews there in our King James Bible is more referring to like a grandchild, but it could definitely be a nephew as well um, in the way that you and I would, would uh, call a nephew. It says, but if any widow have children or nephews, notice, let them first show, uh, let them first to show piety at home and, notice his words, to requite their parents. That word requite means to make appropriate return for their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. The Bible says that if any widow have children and nephews, let them first to show piety at home and to requite their parents to make appropriate return. What is that talking about? It's talking about the fact that when you were a baby, your mom and dad took care of you. They fed you when you weren't able to. They bathed you when you weren't able to. They changed you when you weren't able to. They took care of you when you weren't able to. And then God says that we have an obligation to also care for our parents when they are unable to. And we see this word honor comes up with that financial obligation. Honor widows that are widows indeed. But if any widow have children or nephews, let them first to uh, show piety at home and to requite their parents for that is good and acceptable before God. Now I want you to notice just the word honor and the financial obligation and connotation that goes with it. Look down at verse number 17, same chapter. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17. Now the widow's thing should be pretty obvious. It comes up in 1 Timothy 5.17 also about pastors. Notice verse 17. Let the elders, the word elder is referring to pastor, elder, pastor, bishop. These terms are used interchangeably throughout scripture. It's all talking about the pastor of a church. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of, notice this word, double honor. And you say, oh yeah, that means that we're supposed to esteem them highly for their work's sake. Well, absolutely, I believe that, and the Bible teaches that. But I want you to notice that there is a financial obligation here. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Notice verse 18, for the scripture saith, notice the context, for the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. And we're not going to turn there, but uh, in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul quotes this in that passage where he's talking about the fact that pastors and those who minister should get paid for the work they do. That's what he's talking about. He says, the scripture says, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. He's saying, if the ox is working, then let the ox eat. If the ox is working, then feed the ox. He says, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. Notice, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. So this word honor has this connotation. And here he's talking about double honor. He says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. You say, well, why would it say double honor? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, pastors, uh, Paul is explaining the fact that not every pastor is created equal. You know, there are some pastors that are better than other pastors. And he's saying, look, let an elder that rule well, that rules well, be counted worthy of double honor. And then he says, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. He, he's saying, look, if you have a pastor 
Because if, if you go to other churches and if you travel or whatever, you'll find that often this is the case with pastors. You have a pastor who's a really good preacher and speaker, but it's just a terrible administrator. Just unable to rule well. Nothing's organized. Nothing's prepared. Then get up and preach, but just, you know, the church is disorganized. But then you'll also find that you have these pastors who are just terrible preachers, but they're really well organized and really, you know, run the church well. There's a pastor I'm thinking about. This guy has a huge church. The guy can't preach himself out of a wet paper bag. Whenever I listen to this guy preach, I think to myself, how in the world did so many people come to this church? He's, he's preaching so. But, you know, he's really well organized. He really loves his people. He's a really good pastor. He's a really good shepherd. He just doesn't preach really well. But here Paul is saying, when you can find a, a guy who can rule well, and they labor in the word of doctrine. He's like saying, he's saying, give that guy a raise. You know, like that's, that's not common to find someone who can administer and also preach. He said, let the elders that roll well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the labor is worthy of his reward. So I want you to notice that the word honor has a financial obligation. You honor widows that are widows indeed, and he says to requite their parents, to make appropriate return. He says you're supposed to give the pastors that rule well, and especially those who labor in the word and doctrine, double honor. Go to 1 Peter chapter number 3. Let me show this to you even further. 1 Peter chapter 3. You're there in 1 Timothy, 1 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. 1 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter number 3. And look at verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. Sometimes people get offended when you talk about pastors that are lame or pastors that don't. But look, it's true. Business, you know, most businesses, every business has a business owner, has a CEO, has somebody who's running it. But some businesses have CEOs that are better than other businesses, you know, uh, better managers than other. It's true of the church world as well. Not every pastor is created uh, equal. 1 Peter chapter 3, look at verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands... Dwell with them according to knowledge. Notice, giving honor unto the wife. Now look, as a husband, absolutely supposed to give respect and great esteem to his wife. But it's interesting that God uses this word honor in regards to, because God tells the wife that she is to reverence her husband, that she is to submit to her husband. But God tells the husband, you need to honor your wife, which means to give high respect or to hold in great esteem. But I believe he used that word because husbands are also supposed to provide for their wives financially. So I want you to notice that in all of these relationships, where there's a financial obligation, whether it's children, grandchildren, or nephews caring for the widows financially, caring for them physically, he says to honor. Whether it's the church paying the pastor, he uses the word honor. Whether it's a husband caring for his wife, he uses the word honor. Likewise, ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Why does he, do, why does he use that? Here's why. Because with the word honor, there is this connotation of a obligation to care for your parents. So children who are living at home with their parents, they are to obey their parents. And then adult children... Uh, are, are supposed to honor their parents, which means to hold them in high respect and great esteem, but they're, all supposed, they're supposed to also care for their parents when their parents are unable to care for themselves. They are to requite their parents to make appropriate return uh, for what uh, was done 
uh, for them. Go, go back to Ephesians chapter 6. I was thinking, I, I didn't ask Miss Joyce if, if I could use this illustration. I'm sure she'd be fine with it. But just, just, this, uh, just this Sunday, my, my wife was having a talk with, with Miss Joyce, and, and my wife like, likes talking to Miss Joyce. Miss Joyce used to be a pastor's wife in India. So she has a lot of insight for my wife and a lot of encouragement sometimes. And she dealt with a lot of the same things that people deal with in ministry and she we're, my wife was talking to her you know because vj's been gone in india with this lockdown hasn't been able to come back and of course we've gone and visited with her and all those things but i've uh, been asking her just how she's doing or whatever she said i'm i'm fine she said my my kids are taking care of me and, and she made the statement i took care of them when they were little and now they're taking care of me you know and she said i i could have i could have just dropped them off at a daycare and gone off to work or whatever i chose to stay home and i cared for my children and now they're caring for me and you know what that's how it's supposed to be it's supposed to be that you care for your kids and then your kids care for you so adult children are to honor their parents which means to give them high respect and hold them in great esteem but it also means to care uh for them uh, uh, financially, and, and to care for them uh, uh, physically when they are unable to care for themselves. Now, go back to Ephesians 6, look at verse 2. I want you to notice that this word honor also holds a promise with it. There's a promise associated. Ephesians 6, 2, honor thy father and mother. And notice what he says. He says, which is the first commandment with promise. And the reason he says that. And keep your place there in Ephesians 6. We're going to come right back to it. Go to Exodus chapter 20, if you would. In the Old Testament, you have Genesis and then the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 20. The reason he says, honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, is because of the fact that honor thy father and mother is part of the Ten Commandments. And it's the first commandment that has a promise or a blessing associated with it. Exodus chapter 20, look at verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother. Notice the promise that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Look, the Bible says that you should honor, that you should respect, that you should have great esteem for your parents, that the Lord would bless you. And I believe it also talks about the fact that you should care for your parents when they are unable to care for themselves. And God says, if you do that, I'll promise you. Look, some of you teenagers need to get a hold of this verse. You know, you keep giving attitude to your parents. God might kill you, all right? And, you know, you might die at the hand of your parents, but that's another story. But the, the point is this, that God promises that thy days may be long upon the land, which the Lord, thy God, give it to you. You want to live a long, blessed life by God? God says, honor thy father and mother. Ephesians chapter 6, go back to it. Look at verse 2 again. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. It's even better in, in, in the New Testament, the way uh, he says it, verse 3, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. God says, I'll give you a long life, and I'll make sure your life is well if you honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. So, Children, go to the book of Second Corinthians, if you would. Second Corinthians chapter 12. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Children that are younger children, meaning they live at home with their parents, they're not married, they are to obey their parents in everything in the Lord as it is fit in the Lord because it is well-pleasing to the Lord. And then older children that are living out of the, the home and outside 
uh, the home, then they are to honor. They are to honor uh, their their parents, and, uh, and 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 that means that they're supposed to esteem them highly, and that means that they are also to respect them, and that means that they are to physically care for them uh, while. Uh, when, when the parents are unable to care for themselves. Go to 2 Corinthians 12. Let me just explain this real quick because somebody's going to ask me this question. And let me, you know, you say, what, what if a kid never gets married? You know, when, when's the cutoff? And, and I'm just, I'll just tell you, this is my opinion. This is an opinion. The Bible doesn't specifically command this. But, you know, I look at the life of Jesus and, and you do see that at the age of 30, the Lord Jesus Christ basically went on his own, started his ministry. And there was even a transition there where he was caring for his mother, because on the cross, when he was dying, he made sure that that responsibility was taken care of, and he asked John to care for his mother. So I do believe that there is a point, not with a, with, a, with, a, with a girl. The Bible teaches clearly that until she gets married, she is to be under the authority of her father. The Bible even teaches in the Old Testament that if her husband dies and she goes to live back home with her parents, that she's now under the authority of her father again. But with a male they can get to an age, and you know, I would look at that age as 30 because that's what Jesus, his age was, where they would, if they haven't been married yet, uh, go off uh, on their own. And I just want to you know, say that because people are going to ask me that question, so let me answer you in advance. Let me just say this about caring for your uh, adult parents. The Bible teaches that we should have an obligation to do that. And uh, no matter wh- how your parents have you know, prepared for the future, you should just have it in your mind that you're going to care for them when they are unable to care for uh, themselves, that you're going to requite them when, when they cannot care for themselves. But let me just say this. That does not mean that parents should just plan on being a financial burden to their adult children, okay? Now, look, if that's where you're at in life, you just... You know, you say, man, I just got saved last week. I'm like 80 years old, and that's just, it's, that's, you know, I'm putting away in, in my 401k, but it's just not going to be much. Okay, whatever. Your kids, you know, let them take care of you, and God's going to bless them for it, you know. But honestly, if you're listening to this, and you're like 28, you're 30, you're 36, and you're like, sweet, you know, my kids are going to take care of me. You know, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that we should prepare for the future. And I'm not preaching on finance. I've preached a lot on that. The Bible teaches that we should leave an inheritance for our children and our children's children. So we shouldn't get to old age just being uh, completely broke if we can help it. Obviously, there are you know, uh, situations that happen and things, and we understand that providentially, if you're not able to help it, then you just can't help it. But uh, God wants us to try to be prepared. Let me show this to you from Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 14. 2 Corinthians 12, 14. Behold, The third time I'm ready to come to you, this is Paul speaking, he says, and will not be burdensome to you. I want you to notice the context, because he's about to use an illustration, and I want you to notice the illustration, but I want you to notice the context of the illustration. Paul is referring to the fact that he's going to come to the church in Corinth, he's ready to come to you, he says, and he says, I will not be burdensome to you. He said, I don't want to be a financial burden on you. He says, for I seek not yours he says, but you. He said, I'm not coming so you can take care of me. I'm coming because I just want to see you. I want to be with you. Then he uses this illustration. He says, for the children ought not lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. He says, the children shouldn't have to be saving up money for the parents. He said, the parents should be the ones that are saving up money for the children, leaving an inheritance uh, for the children. Uh, So, yes, adult children are to care physically 
for their parents, and they should care financially for them if that's just where their parents find themselves. But we as parents should be preparing for the future and not just have this mentality where I'm just going to be a financial burden to to my kids. Go back to Ephesians 6, and let me just say this, and you guys have heard me talk about this, but this is something that you know my wife and I experienced with her grandmother. My wife's grandmother passed away several years ago, but for the last... I don't know. My wife's always in the mother bedroom when I need to <laughs> want to ask her. I don't know. The last uh, year or two of, of, of her life, uh, she uh, lived with us. She was 92 years old. Uh, she lived with us. There's no one. She was living up in Washington. And just the, the way that things had worked out, situations that her kids were in and, and how it worked out in life, there's just nobody to care for her. And, they, you know, it was if nobody could care for her, they were just going to put her in her home. And, uh, you know, the question was asked if she could live with us. And, you know, the Bible says, hey, uh, children are nephews, right? And, and, you know, grandchildren. So we said, yeah, absolutely. She was 92 years old. She lived with us for, for a while. And, uh, you know, there, there was a lot of work that came along with that because uh, she was basically bedridden. And my wife had to, um, you know, make meals for her every day, of course, you know, three times a day. And she, my wife had to bathe her and my wife had to change her and my wife had to uh, care for her. Uh, and we were, you know, we, we were happy to do it. And, and I think that God's going to bless us for it, you know, but, but I, I will say this though, there was a lot of expenses that came along with that. You know, she had doctors that had to come to nurses that had to come to the house and medication and a lot of things. And, uh, her husband had set aside who had already died, but he just set aside for the future and, and financially, uh, they were able to take care of everything. And I'll just tell you, you know, for, for a 27 year old with four little kids, uh, working, yeah, I think at that time I was, I was, I was working part time for the church and part, you know, it would have devastated us financially to have to, it was already a lot of work to care for her physically. If we had to also come up with an extra thousand, fifteen hundred every month to care for her financial needs, we wouldn't have been able to do it. So it was a blessing that they had prepared financially. So I'm just trying to help you understand that, yes, your parent, your kids are supposed to care for you physically, but if you can provide, you know, uh, a plan for the future so that you're not just a financial burden on them. And of course, if, if you end up being a financial burden, God's going to bless them for it, all right? That's why he puts a promise with that, uh, uh, with that command to honor uh, your parents. Go back to Ephesians 6. Let's, let's shift gears here. And talk about the father. So he, he first talks about the children. And he talks to younger children. He says, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. He, and he says, you need to obey them in all things and everything. And you need to uh, do it as it is fit in the Lord, as it is in the Lord, as long as they're not asking you to sin. Then he looks at adult children. And he says, honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment of the promise, that it may be well with thee. And, he, and we learn that that has to do with taking care of them physically and for their uh, physical Needs. Then he begins to talk to fathers. So he talks to children about the authority that they are under, which is their parents. Then he talks to fathers about the authority that they are given. Notice what he says to fathers, Ephesians 6 and verse 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Notice that I want you to notice that he begins by giving us some don'ts for dads and then some do's for dads. And he begins by saying, hey, Fathers, you don't want to provoke your children to wrath. I want you to notice that he uh, says this also in Colossians 3. Go to Colossians 3 if you would, if you kept your place there in Colossians chapter 3. In case you're not sure what the word wrath means, as explained in Colossians 3. 
Verse 21, fathers, provoke not your children to anger. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger. Now, let me just say this. This applies, of course, to both parents. But I think he is talking to fathers because we as fathers are the ones that tend to, you know, have a short fuse and to just kind of lose our temper and to, and, and, and to uh, yell and all those things. And he says, look, you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. He says, fathers, provoke not your children to anger. So the big don't as a dad. And look, there, there in the Bible, you have the commands that are commands that are given in a positive, like things you should do. And then there are commands that are given in the negative. And look, in the Bible, the negative commands are way more important. And, and, and don't misunderstand me. Obviously, everything in the Bible is important. But when something is stated in the negative, my wife has, uh, you know, taken analysis training uh, for, for speech. And one of the things that they teach in, in, in that type of training is that that which is spoken in the negative is doubly important. And it's true in Scripture. When God tells you to not do something, you want to be very, you want to pay attention. When it's given in a negative, and here God is telling fathers, fathers, provoke not your children to anger. This is not something you want to do. Provoke not your children to wrath. You say, well, what does that mean? How can I keep from provoking my children to anger? Go to Proverbs chapter number 29. Proverbs chapter 29. If you open up your Bible in the center, you'll have the book of Psalms and then Proverbs. Proverbs 29. You say, how, how can I not provoke my children to anger? How do I keep from that? Well, there, there's, there's two things. That, that I want you to notice. The first is this, that we are not to discipline our children in anger. We are not to discipline our children in, in anger. And I want you to notice, in the Bible, and there's a lot of passages we could look at. I'm not going to take time to do, to do that, but I'm going to show you a couple. Proverbs 29.15, the Bible uh, uses this word in regards to disciplining children. Proverbs 29.15, notice these two words, the rod. The rod says the rod and reproof. Now, reproof is something you give with your mouth. You give reproof. It's, it's talking about communicating. But the rod is talking about like a stick. Okay, what is that referring to? It's referring to the fact that God expects you to beat your children. You say, I don't like that word. Well, that's a Bible word, all right? And obviously, we're not talking about beating your children like a drunk dad comes home and beats his kids. That's not what we're referring to. But it's talking about the fact that you're supposed to spank your children. You're supposed to administer a physical punishment he says, the rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child left himself bringeth his mother to shame. Look, the kids that embarrass their mom at the store, out in public, you know what that is? It's because they're not receiving the rod. It's because they're not receiving the rod and reproof. They need to be physically spanked, you know, uh, for uh, the, the things that they do. And, and he says, the rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child left himself, bringing his mother to shame. Go to Proverbs 23, look at verse 14. Proverbs 23, 14. Proverbs 23, 14, the Bible says this, Thou shalt beat him, thou shalt beat him, that's a Bible word, thou shalt beat him with, notice, the rod, and shall deliver his soul from hell. So when the Bible talks about disciplining your children, it often uses this idea of the rod, because you're physically supposed to take... Uh, a rod and and beat them, you know, or a bell or whatever. Proverbs 22, look at verse 8. 
But notice that we're not supposed to do this in anger. Proverbs 22 and verse 8, He that soweth iniquity shall reap vanity. I want you to notice these words. And the rod. And the rod. Now look, the rod of reproof give wisdom. Thou shalt beat beat him with a rod and shall deliver his soul from hell. The rod is a good thing. As parents, we're supposed to take the rod and we're supposed to discipline our children with the rod. But notice, the rod, see some people think, well, I beat my children, it's not working. You know, I beat them and I beat them and I spank them and they still have a bad attitude. They're still rebellious. Well, notice, here's why. The rod of his anger shall fail. When you spank your children, when you discipline your children in anger, all you're going to reap from that is resentment, is bitterness, is anger, because we're not supposed to discipline our children in anger. We're not supposed to discipline our children in anger. The rod of reproof give wisdom. That's true. Thou shalt beat him with a rod and shall deliver his soul from hell. Yes, but you're not supposed to take the rod in your hand um, in anger because the rod of his anger shall fail. Go to Colossians chapter number 3. So look, please understand this, especially as your children get older. You know, there, and I realize that there's a lot of ways of looking at this, and, and people have different thoughts on it, and if you've got a different view on this, that's fine. Obviously, you're going to stand before God and give an account for what was done in your home and, and all of that. But, but please understand something. My opinion and my wife's opinion is that as your children get older, you're supposed to be spanking them less and less. God did not give us spanking as a tool that we're just, you know, you're just spanking your adult children on the day of their wedding. You're just one last spanking because he gave me lip again. You know, I mean, if he's giving you lip on the day of his wedding, you shouldn't be getting married, okay? Um, that's a maturity issue. But the, the point is this, that look, spanking your children when they're little, you're supposed to do that when they're little. I'm talking about appropriate age spanking, obviously, you know, a one-year-old, ah, you spank a one-year-old? Well, that's, that's, the, that's the problem you have with your kids. You're not spanking them early enough, all right? Now, a one-year-old, you know, they get a little tap on the hand. You know, one-and-a-half-year-old. Obviously, as they get older, but look, a two-year-old, a three-year-old, a four-year-old, those ages, you need to be spanking a lot. You need to be developing this culture in your home. I'm mom, I'm dad, you obey. But look, if you do it right when they're three and four, and five, and six, you know what we have found is that you don't have to spank your 12-year-old. Because they just listen. Now, if you messed up, and your 12-year-old and your 13-year-old still giving you lip, then yeah, grab the rod. I'm not saying not to do it. I'm just telling you, the point is this. We are not raising children. We are raising adults. The point is to bring them up so that they don't need us, so that they can go out of the home and be the man that God has created them to be, be the woman that God has created them to be. And if you're having to spank, look, I'm not trying to offend you, I'm just saying if you're spanking your 17-year-old, you you need to catch up. Something's wrong there. You're supposed to uh, spank them when they're young so that you develop a culture of obedience, so you develop a culture of love and respect, where, look, your 16-year-old should just be, you know, dad says, do something, and yes, sir, and they do it out of, just because they love you and because they respect you, not because you're going to go grab a rod and beat them with it. You should have been doing that when they were eight, when they were six. Because the rod, and, and here's what I'm telling you, when you're spanking your 17-year-old, it's out of anger. And the Bible says the rod of his anger shall fail. 
So, so we want to be careful that you say, well, the Bible says rod. Yeah, but we don't discipline in anger because you're going to create wrath in, in your child's heart. You're going to create anger in your child's heart. But then notice, you say, well, I, I don't, you know, what are the don'ts? The don'ts are this. Don't discipline in anger. And look, kids make you angry. We understand that. But maybe you need to send them to their room. Maybe you need to cool down. Maybe you need to pray. You know, you need to do something before you go and deal with it. We're not saying to not deal with it. But you should not discipline your children in anger. It should be a very matter of fact, you know, you were told to do this, you didn't, here are the consequences, and then, and then you spank them. And look, let me just, I've already, you know, gotten all up in your business. Let me just get in your business some more, all right? It, it, should, be very, it should be very structured. You know, if you don't obey, you're going to get four swats. Okay, this thing where you're just like, Beating him, you know, it's like 10 minutes later, you're still beating them. It's like, there, there's something wrong here. That's not, that's not what you want God to spank you like that? Just, you know, 500 years later, you're just still getting spanked? You know, it should be structured. It should be controlled. It should not be something that's done in anger and, you know, should never be hitting a child on their face. You never should be, you know, closed fists. None of that. That is a beating, okay? Like, get you in trouble legally beating. It should be structured. It should be uh, disciplined. It should be cool. We should not, because look, you say, well, what if I just get angry? The rod of his anger shall fail. It just, you're going to fail. It's not going to work. So we should not discipline anger, and we should not discourage our children. Go to Colossians 3, verse 21. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger. Notice the words, lest they be discouraged. What does it mean to discourage? Discourage means to cause someone to lose confidence or enthusiasm. I says you don't want to uh, uh, you don't want to provoke your children to anger because you don't want them to be discouraged. And when you do provoke your children to anger, you're going to discourage them. Now, how do we discourage? How does that work? Well, discouraging works. You're in Colossians. Go go back to Ephesians if you would. Go back to Ephesians and then find the book of Proverbs. We're going to look at some verses, and then we're going, to, we're going to finish up. But, you know, discouraging works, and the way that we discourage children is, is by treating them like they're less than us. And look, it's easy to do, but, but because you have these kids. You've had them, you know, since they were babies. You changed their diapers, you know, you know, all these things that you did that they don't remember, and they don't, you know, thank you for or whatever. And it's easy to just kind of think of them as, as they're just there. And a lot of times we think of them as they're just in the way. But you know, the truth is, is that God gave you those children, and, and, and he lent them to you. He gave them to you to raise them for him. They belong to him. Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. We are supposed to care for those kids. They're not just in the way. So sometimes what happens with parents is that we don't really see. You know, we talk to our kid. We never talk to another adult like that. We never talk to another person like that. We talk to our kids in a way that we'd never talk to any stranger like that. But look, let me explain them. Your, your kids are people. They're persons with souls and emotions and feelings. And when we insult them, when we disrespect them, when we embarrass them, when we criticize them and pick them apart, we discourage them. And the Bible says, hey, fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. And look, you do what you want. You want to be spanking a 17-year-old? Go for it. I'm, just, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to have the heart of my children. 
I want them to love me and to respect me and to, and to have a good relationship with them. So look, these don'ts are big. Don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't provoke your children to anger. Don't disrespect them. Don't insult them. Don't criticize them. Don't bully them. I didn't say don't discipline them. You need to discipline them, but you need to discipline them in love and in control and not in anger. We cannot be harsh with our children and then expect to do what God has called us to do, which is found in verse 4. Notice what it says. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. That's the don't. Don't do it. Here's the do. But bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's what we're supposed to do. Now, what does that mean? Nurture. The word nurture means to care for and encourage. Admonition means to warn and advise, and when needed, reprimand and reproof. We're not talking about not disciplining them, but we're supposed to bring them up in the care and encouragement, in the admonition. We're supposed to admonish them, warn them, advise them. Look, those words right there, the nurture and admonition, that basically sums up parenting. You say, what, what, what do I need to do as a parent? You need to nurture and admonish. You need to care for and encourage your children. And then you also need to warn them and advise them and correct them and say, no, son, no, daughter, that's the wrong thing. You don't want to do that. That's not the decision you want to make. But you don't want to do that in anger because you're going to provoke your children to wrath. You want to nurture and admonish them. He says to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Go to the book of Proverbs if you would. Let me just read for you real quickly from this article. It's, it's real short. It's called The Importance of a Father in a Child's Life. And uh, I guess the focus is going to be fathers for a while till Father's Day. I don't know why God, God worked it out this way. But um, here's what it says. Children want to make their fathers proud. And an involved father promotes inner growth and strength. Studies have shown that when fathers are affectionate and supportive, it greatly affects a child's cognitive and social development. It also instills an overall sense of well-being and self-confidence. And what the Bible, look, the Bible is saying, look, Dad, I, I don't know why it is. I'm going to try to figure it out and maybe have it ready for Father's Day, okay? I don't know why it is, but it just is that your words carry more weight in the life of a child than probably anyone. And I'm not trying to disrespect mothers. Mothers are a big deal. But for some reason, you ever heard of people having daddy issues? People have daddy issues because there is something about the relationship that a father has with their kid. I mean, think about the fact that God refers to him as the father. And, and there, there's something about our relationship with our children that is supposed to model for them the relationship that they're going to have with God the father, you know, after salvation and for the rest of their lives. And I'm just telling you, our words weigh heavy. So be careful. By not provoking your children to wrath, about disciplining and anger, about picking them apart and discouraging them, because the Bible says that we are to bring them up in the nurture, we are to care for them, we are to encourage them. Our children should feel like we're rooting for them, and we want you to do well, we want you to do right, and admonish them. We need to warn them and advise them and reprove them when needed. We need to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Go to Proverbs 29. We're going to look at two verses in Proverbs 29. We'll finish up. So here are the two big takeaways. 
from these four verses. Takeaway number one, children should obey. When young, they should obey in everything in the Lord. Well, this is right. Uh, and, and older children that are married and out of the home should honor their parents. They should reverence them. They should hold them in high esteem. And they should care for them physically when their parents are unable to care for themselves. Honor their parents. And when they do that, God will bless them for it. But then the takeaway for parents is this, and specifically fathers, is that we should be gentle. We should be gentle as we give care, as we give encouragement, as we warn and advise. And yes, as we discipline, we should be gentle. Proverbs 29 Look at verse 21. He that delicately bringeth up his servant. I want you to know, this is not talking about a son. It's talking about an employee. It's talking about someone you hire, someone that works for you. He that delicately, he says, you can do this with someone that's not even your, your child. He says, he that delicately bringeth up his servant from a child shall have him become his son at the length. Look, you want to know why sometimes kids are more influenced by a coach, by a school teacher, by some other authority that's not their parent? You know why? Because oftentimes in those positions, those people are doing a better job at nurture and admonition than we are. Because they're not going to yell at your kids and, and, and you know, pick on them and pick them apart. But look, we need to discipline them We need to obviously correct them when they need it, but we need to make sure that we check our attitude. Nurture and admonition is what the Bible says. Psalms 18, if you would, just flip back. I told you Proverbs, I meant Psalms. Psalms 18, if you would. You say, well, why should I do all that? One big reason, because that's how God deals with you. I mean, that's how God deals with you. God's patient with you. God's gentle with you. God loves you. Psalm 18, verse 35. We'll finish right here. Psalm 18, 35. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy right hand hath holden me up. Notice these words. And thy gentleness hath made me great. The psalmist looks up at God and he says, God, your gentleness has made me great. You know how God's gentle with you? He disciplines, he chastises, he corrects. He does it in love. He's gentle. And this is what God has called us to do as parents. You know, what to God that our children, our adult children, would step in and say, you know, Mom, you know, Dad, I want to honor you. I want to esteem you. In fact, I'll physically care for you because your gentleness has made me great. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, thank you for these, uh, these principles in Scripture. And Lord, I, I, Lord I, I pray that you would help me and my wife. I realize we, we've got young kids. And we are practicing these things that you are teaching. We, we are not the experts. But the principles are there. We can learn them. We don't have to make mistakes to realize, oh, the Bible's right. We already know the Bible's right. So Lord, I pray you'd help us. Lord, I pray you'd help every kid in this room to make a decision that they're going to obey their parents. And not just the 8-year-olds, but the 18-year-olds. Not just the 9-year-olds, but the 19-year-olds. We're living at home. We would say, I'm going to obey my parents because that's right. The right thing to do. As long as it's fit in the Lord, I'm going to do it. But I pray you to help all of us to make a decision to honor our parents. 
esteem them respectfully and highly, to regard them highly, and to choose to care for them when they are unable to care for themselves. Lord, help us as fathers. And Lord, I, I know I've, I've failed. I've had short fuse and yelled and done all those things. Lord, I pray you to help us to provoke not our children to wrath, but to bring them up in the nurture and admonition. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you strengthen the homes in this church. I pray that you strengthen the relationship with the parents and the children. Lord, I pray you'd help us to have homes that bring honor and glory to your name. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.